All right, take your Bibles out. Let's turn to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark. Last week, we finished up our series uh, looking at the Old Testament tabernacle, and I do hope that you gleaned something from it. hope you learned something or were just challenged in some area through that series. And again, I always pray that the seed that has gone forth, and God has promised that his word will not return void. So I do pray that as the seed of the word of God goes forth, that it falls upon good ground, that it falls upon the soil of one's heart that is ready to receive and ready to grow and bring forth fruit. Again, that's the kind of soil you want, you know. Uh, you, you want the soil of your heart to be uh, to be receptive and ready to receive the seed of the Word of God as it goes forth. So this morning, we're going to be starting up a new series, and I am looking forward to this. Uh, and going through the Gospel of Mark with you verse by verse. I'm not going to put any time limit on this because, again, this is probably, I, again, I'm, I can say with confidence that this is, uh, the longest series that I've done. I know we preached through Ecclesiastes, which I think has, what, like 12 chapters, and through the book of Nehemiah, which has, I think, around the same. Again, don't quote me on that. I think around 10 to 12, I think. I'd have to go back and double-check that. Uh, but again, this, the Gospel of Mark, is the shortest gospel, uh, but I believe it has around 16 chapters. So this is the longest one we've done. We haven't gone through a gospel together uh, so we're going to go through one of the Gospels, and I think you're going to benefit a lot from this series uh, So as we go through the Gospel of Mark. So I want to read verse number, chapter 1, verse number 1, and then we'll have a word of prayer. It says here, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's where we're going to stop this morning. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come before you, and God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us to open up your word. And God, what a privilege this is, God. God, I pray, Lord, that we would never take for granted, Lord, just the freedoms we have within our country to be able to publicly assemble as we are this morning and to be able to openly preach the word of God. And Father God, I pray, Lord, that if the day comes in our nation when those freedoms are taken away, God, I pray that that would not cause us to run and hide. God, but I pray that as believers, we would continue to boldly preach the word, regardless of the consequences. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would just be with us this morning, God. I pray you just open up ears and hearts to receive the word of God. God, I pray you'd help me as I teach this morning. And, Lord, I just commit this entire series into your hands, God. And I ask, Lord, that you would do a mighty work through it. God, if any if any change, if any hearts are going to be stirred, Lord, it's not going to be because of me. It's going to be because of you, Lord, and the Spirit of God. And, Lord, hearts that are tender and teachable and receptive to your word. Father God, I pray you would help me to communicate your word faithfully and just effectively this morning. And Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God would help me to say what you'd have me to say. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would have your will and way. God, I pray you'd work in hearts. God, I pray you would just guide and direct us both this morning and, Lord, over the next couple months, Lord, however long it takes us to work our way through the Gospel of Mark. And God, I pray we'd come before your word with hearts that are hungry. Lord, hungry to receive the meat and the drink of your of your soul-nourishing word. And Father, may you receive the glory in all that is said now. And Lord, I do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this morning, again, I want to do something that I usually do uh, whenever we start out a series, and that is just simply give an introduction. Uh, again, we're not going to get into the meat and bones of the book of Mark this morning. I just want to simply lay the foundation and then we'll build the house, okay? It's important to build a foundation be, or put down a foundation before you build a house. So 
And that's what we're going to do with this sermon series. We're going to lay the foundation this morning. Uh, just deal with some foundational things that help you understand the context uh, surrounding the Gospel of Mark. Uh, so that you can profit uh, the most from it. All right, I want you to profit from this. I want to prof- spiritually profit from this series as well. Um, so again, as we come before the Word of God this morning... Again, there's a couple of things I just want to, I, I just want to, again, as we lay the foundation, I just want to deal with. And then I'm going to also give you just some practical applications uh, that apply not just to this series, but apply to any series, um, anytime the Word of God is preached. So again, we'll get to that in just a little bit. Uh, but let's go ahead. Let's just jump right in. A couple of things I want to go over this morning. I want to begin this morning dealing with the authorship of the Gospel of Mark. The authorship of the Gospel of Mark. Again, we understand, again, we believe in the, uh, what is called the plenary verbal inspiration of the Word of God. All the Word of God is inspired by God. Every word, every line, all of it. Again, all of it is equally inspired from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation. All right, so it is, it is God-breathed. It is given by God. That is the doctrine of inspiration. And we could, we could delve into that a lot more in depth than we have in the past. But we understand that ultimately God is the author of not just the Gospel of Mark, God is the author of every single book of the Bible. All right, and we have God, we have the canon, we have, again, the the books of the Bible, again, that were inspired by God in front of us this morning. 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. I, I have no doubt about that. Again, all scripture, every word, every line. Again, from beginning to end, is given by inspiration of God. But I want, what I want to focus on this morning is who did God use, who did God choose as the human penman or the human instrument, the human writer, through which to pen the inspired word of God? Who did God use? And that, we understand, is John Mark. John Mark. Second Peter 1.21, uh, again, shows us the process of inspiration. It says, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So it's not just that Paul or Peter or John Mark sat down one day and decided, hey, I'm going to write a book of the Bible. That's not how it happened. God used these men. The Spirit of God moved in these men to write down the inspired Word of God. And John Mark just happened to be one of those that God used. One of those holy men through which God spake as he was moved by the Holy Ghost. Let's consider, let's talk about John Mark for a little bit. Let's consider, first of all, his family background. If you would turn with me to Acts 12, 12. To Acts chapter 12, verse number 12. And we find here, we're introduced to his mother. All right, John Mark's mother um, is hosting a prayer meeting. Okay, so she is having a prayer meeting at her house. Uh, here in Acts chapter number 12, Peter's, Peter's in prison. Again, we know that God delivers him. And that's likely one of the things that they were praying for was the release of the apostle Peter. And we find here in Acts 12 verse 12, it says, And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. Okay, the John Mark. Where many were gathered together praying. So we find here his mother's name is Mary. This is not Mary, the mother of Christ. There's, there's multiple Marys that are spoken of in the New Testament. And this is Mary, the mother of John Mark. Okay? And we find here she's a praying woman. Uh, we find here that she is willing to open up her house 
so that this early church can have a prayer meeting in her house, as many of the early churches met in, in houses. And we, we find, again, that is the case here with this prayer meeting. So we find Mary is the mother of John, whose surname is Mark. In Colossians 4, verse 10, I'll read that verse to you. If you want to turn there with me, but I'll read it as soon as I get there. Colossians 4, verse 10, um, it says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. Marcus, again, another uh, way to refer to John Mark is Marcus, sister son to Barnabas, touching whom you receive commandments. If he come unto you, receive him. Okay, so again, we also see that Marcus is, or we see John Mark is related to Barnabas. Okay, Barnabas is Uncle Barnabas to John Mark. Okay, and if, if you read the book of Acts, then um, Barnabas is kind of one of those guys that is, is a little bit behind the scenes. He's kind of in the shadow of, of the Apostle Paul. Yet we find that as, a, as the Apostle Paul goes on his missionary journeys, oftentimes Barnabas is right there alongside of him. He is the son of consolation. He's the son of comfort. And he's probably, and many people believe that he was a guy who came along and encouraged others, who comforted others. Again, that was a way that God mightily used him. He was a helper. He was a, he was a great assistant. And he did, again, that's how he acted in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. So we find John Mark, his mother is Mary, and his uncle is Uncle Barnabas. Okay? So again, just so you know a little bit of his family background, we find, uh, again, both his mother and his uncle uh, were strong believers, and they were highly involved in the early church. Let's continue on, though. Let's talk about his name just briefly. Um, again, the Gospel of Mark just refers to his uh, one part of his name, and that is Mark, his Latin surname. John is his Jewish name. Okay, John is his Jewish name, whereas Mark is his Roman name or his Latin surname. Okay, so again, the Bible refers to him as, as John, whose surname is Mark. John Mark, Mark, or Marcus. Okay, it's all referring to the same person. Uh, so again, if I refer to Mark, John Mark, I'm not talking about two separate people. I'm talking about, or even Marcus, I'm talking about the same person. Uh, let's consider his spiritual background this morning as well. Uh, John Mark is mentioned, uh, the, first, the first mention of John Mark is in Acts chapter 12. Again, and we find here his relation... Uh, again, his mother, again, who hosted this prayer meeting in her house, and she is the mother of John Mark. And we find here that, again, he has family uh, that are already Christians. Okay, So, again, strong Christians. He's a Christian. His mother is a Christian. His uncle Barnabas is a Christian. And it's likely, again, although we can't say definitely, it's, it's likely that he was converted under the ministry of the apostle Peter. Okay? Why do I say that? How can I say that? 1 Peter 5.13, Peter refers to him as Marcus, my son. Okay? Now, where else have we heard that type, of, uh, that, that type of phraseology, my son or my son in the faith? The Apostle Paul referring to Timothy. Okay? Timothy was Paul's son in the faith, not his biological son, his spiritual son. And because of that, many people believe that uh, Timothy was converted under Paul's ministry and that the Apostle Paul really became a spiritual mentor or spiritual father in his life. Um, on the other hand, we find John Mark. Again, we see that he was likely converted under the ministry of the Apostle Peter. Um, again, and if he wasn't converted under the ministry of the Apostle Peter, he was at least highly influenced. Uh, Peter was his spiritual father. Peter was his spiritual, was his spiritual mentor. Uh, back in Acts chapter number 12, we find 
the Apostle Paul and Barnabas going on their first missionary journey. And we find that John Mark came along with them. But we find that on this journey, and the Bible doesn't specify what the reason was, we find that somewhere along the journey, we find you have Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark. But at some point in the journey, John Mark turned back. Yeah, whatever the reason was, whether it was fear, whether he just wasn't overly committed to the cause, whatever reason it was, he turned back. He turned away from Paul and Barnabas and, and went back to the comfort of his home. He departed from them on this missionary journey. Turn to Acts 15, Acts chapter number 15. We find here that because of his lack of commitment to the cause, because he didn't stick it out, because he, 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 he didn't stick to the job, he didn't put his hand to the plow, no, he turned back. He looked back. He went home. We find that whenever the time came for Paul's second missionary journey, we find that the Apostle Paul didn't want John Mark going with them. The Apostle Paul likely saw, saw John Mark as, as uh, really, really, really a handicap to the mission, as somebody who wasn't committed enough to the mission. Therefore, again, leave John Mark. And we, we, can't, we can't afford to take John Mark with us and, and have him turn back on us again. Acts chapter 15, verse number 36. It says, And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city um, where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas, Uncle Barnabas, determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. Okay, so Barnabas had the idea, let's take John Mark with us. I know he turned away from us the first time, but let's take him with us. But Paul thought it not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. Notice in verse 39, and the contention was so sharp between them, between Paul and Barnabas, that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. So you had one missionary team. Now you have two missionary teams. All right, Paul says, we're not taking, we're not taking John Mark. Barnabas says, let's take John Mark. They can't agree. They can't see eye to eye. So they go their separate ways. And I, again, I believe that God, God used this division just to further his work. Something that... Uh, again, from something that may have seemed um, unprofitable, likely ended up being profitable. Again, because now you had two missionary, two missionary teams. But again, you see here that Barnabas took Mark, John Mark, his nephew, and went to Cyprus. Whereas Paul took Silas, uh, again, and, and, and uh, Paul uh, again, went on his missionary travels. So early in his ministry, John Mark is seen as, really has the testimony of, of someone who's undependable. John Mark doesn't have the strongest testimony. He, he's, not, he's not the guy, according to the Apostle Paul, that you, that you want on your team. Again, let him, let him be on somebody else's team. Let him be on Barnabas' Barnabas's team. But again, he's not, he's not dependable. He's not committed. He's, he's vacillating. You can either, either be all in or, or don't, you know, is, is sort of the, the mentality, I think, of the Apostle Paul here. Now, after this encounter right here, the Bible is silent on the life of John Mark for about 10 years. Okay, so we don't know what happens. But again, one thing that, again, we know that did happen at some point during this time 
is John Mark was restored to a place of usefulness. John Mark was restored to a place of usefulness, and he went from being vacillating and undependable to being faithful and dependable in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, why, Again, where, where do we see that? Well, this is evident in the fact that while the Apostle Paul was in his final imprisonment, and we just went over this in 2 Timothy, uh, who, did, who did the Apostle Paul tell Timothy to bring? Remember? He, told, he said, bring Mark. Okay, so obviously, Paul's relationship with Mark had been restored. He was no longer an unprofitable, undependable uh, ministry partner. 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul said, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Something happened. Again, there was a transformation in, in John Mark's life. Where he went from being undependable to being dependable and faithful. So much so that Paul told Timothy, bring Mark with you, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. John Mark's testimony is really an encouraging testimony to many children of God. John Mark's testimony is a reminder that God is truly a God of second chances. That although, again, John Mark may have not started out strong in his, in his service to Christ... And although he has some spiritual failures in his life, starting out in the service to Christ, we find how God restored him, God transformed him, and God recommissioned him. And God used him mightily in his service. I think something else to point out, too, I do think that is interesting, that of all people, Peter was his spiritual mentor. Now, why is that significant? Because think of all the apostles. All right? Peter has one of the most incredible testimonies. Peter really was was one of the one, one of the strongest disciples. Again, he 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 was full of faith, uh, full of gusto in the service of the Lord. Again, he wanted to go forward in the service of God, but he also again failed the Lord miserably. He also denied the Lord three times. Again, although he did some of the greatest things for God, he also reached one of the lowest spots of all of all the apostles. Again, Peter understood what it was like to have a season of spiritual failure. He denied the Lord three times. But you look at Peter's life after that and how he repented. He wept bitterly over what he had done. And he repented and he got right with God. And God ended up using Peter in, in, in miraculous ways. Even in greater ways than Peter before his denial of Christ. You see the life of Peter, and you see how God used him in a mighty way. Peter really was the perfect fit, right, to, to come alongside and to, and to help John Mark, you know, who also had a season of spiritual failure, where he was not zealous, where he was not committed, where he was not totally faithful, you know, in, in his service to Christ. Let's continue on, though. Let's also consider the audience of Mark, the audience of Mark. The Gospel of Mark has characteristics that indicate that it was primarily written to more of a Gentile, uh, specifically Roman audience. Um, and I'll give you some reasons for this. We won't spend a lot of time on this this morning, but just a couple of things briefly. First of all, in the Gospel of Mark, there is an absence of Old Testament quotations. Okay, so there's an absence of Old Testament quotations. Now, why would that be? The Jews would have been very familiar with the Old Testament. The Romans would have not been familiar with the Old Testament, right? All right, number two, second, there are Aramaic expressions that a Roman would not naturally be familiar with that are translated for the reader. 
Okay, a couple of these. Okay, I'll give you two of them. Uh, in, in Mark 7:34, you have, or I'll just read it. Let me just go back and read it to you. Uh, Mark 7, verse number 34. Uh, let's see. My spot, verse number 34. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him, notice the Aramaic word, ephatha, that is, be opened. Okay, and you have other examples where you have this Aramaic expression, and then you have, again, an interpretation of it. You have, again, it's followed by which that is, as you find here, or which is interpreted, and then it gives the meaning. Mark 15, 34. Uh, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani, that's an Aramaic phrase, and which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So you have these Aramaic phrases that a Roman would not be familiar with that are interpreted for the reader. Let's go to number three. Jewish customs are explained to the reader. Jewish customs are explained to the reader. Again, if, they, if, they, if, they, if this was sent primarily to a Jewish audience, there would be no need for that. Again, they, they would understand these customs. Mark 7, 2 through 3. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defile, that is to say with unwashed hands, they, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands, oft eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. So we, have, we find here, again, a description um, or commentary on a description of the traditions of the elders or um, Jewish customs and the reason why they did certain things. Number four, Jewish places are located. Jewish places are located. Example is in Mark 13, verse 3. And I'm just giving you some, some examples. There's many other examples that could be given. Mark 13, 3 says, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple. Now, a Jewish person would understand that the Mount of Olives was over against the temple. All right, but a Roman would not. So, again, there's another reason why we would say that this is primarily to a Gentile, specifically Roman audience. Number five, Jewish law is not mentioned. Okay, Jewish law is not mentioned in the Gospel of Mark. Number six, words of Latin origin that a Roman would understand are used that are not found in other biblical records. Okay, so there's certain words um, that have a Latin origin. Okay. What the Romans would understand. They have a Latin origin that are used in the Gospel of Mark that are not used in other Gospels. Or that aren't used in other parts of even the New Testament. Um, so again, that's significant. And that just shows us kind of who the audience is, who the audience primarily was when this book was written. Let's consider some of the attributes of Mark. Uh, the Gospel of Mark is a book of action. It is a book of work. It is a book that is full of activity and action. The, the, the Greek adverb euthis um, is translated in the Gospel of Mark as straightway, immediately, forthwith, and anon. And this adverb is, is used 42 times in the Gospel of Mark. And it is used more times just in the Gospel of Mark than it is in all the rest of the New Testament combined. All right, this word euthis, which is translated straightway, immediately. Again, it's, it's, it's a word of action. Again, straightway, forthwith, immediately. And we find this being used through the, through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, one Bible teacher calls this the gospel of work. The gospel of work. 
Um, the reason for that is you see Christ presented as a man of action, as a servant who is busy about his master's service. Okay? He is busy about his master's service. And the Gospel of Mark presents Christ as God's servant. And because of this, the Gospel of Mark doesn't deal with the birth of Christ. It doesn't deal with the genealogy of Christ. And it doesn't deal with the early childhood years of the Lord Jesus Christ. And why is that? Because, again, a, a servant, again, that is, for a servant, none of that's significant. Now, other Gospels do record that. And it's significant as it, as it ties into those ones. But for a servant, you get straight to the action. You get straight to the action, you start reading the Gospel of Mark, and the narrative moves right into his baptism and his public ministry, as we'll see whenever we continue on next week. The Gospel of Mark is focused more on what Christ did than what he said. Consider this quote by one Bible commentator. He says, The Roman mind would be far more impressed with what Jesus did than with his genealogical record or teaching. Mark could then argue from Christ's miracles to his deity and then to the greatest miracle and display of power that the world has ever seen, his death and resurrection. All right, let's continue on and let's talk about just briefly the aim of Mark. Again, why was it written? What was the purpose for the gospel of Mark? Mark 1 verse 1 states really the purpose of the book for us. It says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. So why was the Gospel of Mark written? The Gospel of Mark was written to present the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a presentation of the God, or is a presentation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Really, each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all presentations of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they all present him from a different angle. Take the Gospel of Matthew, for example. Jesus Christ is presented in the Gospel of Matthew as God's King. As the king. Mark presents Christ as God's servant. Luke presents Christ as God's perfect man. And John presents Christ as God's eternal son. And so we see all the, really all the gospels coming together as a presentation of Christ. But each one of them are written um, with a different angle. Okay, presenting Christ as king or Christ as servant or Christ as man or Christ as God. As we find in Matthew, Mark, Luke. And John. Go ahead and take your Bibles. Let's turn to Mark 10, verse 45. Mark 10, verse 45. Uh, this is really the, the theme verse of the Gospel of Mark. Mark 10, verse 45. We find here that according to this verse and exemplified through the Gospel, that Jesus Christ is presented in two ways. Mark 10, 45. We'll eventually get to this verse and deal with it more in depth when we get to Mark 10. Mark 10:45. It says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. What does that word minister mean? It means to serve. The word minister means to serve. Okay, so why did Christ come? Christ came to minister. Christ came to serve. But notice the second part. It says, and to give his life a ransom for many. So based upon Mark 10, 45, and exemplified throughout the book, you see Jesus Christ presented as servant and savior. Jesus is presented as servant and savior. As God's servant, Jesus came into the world to minister. 
He came into this world to serve, and Jesus was the fulfillment of, those, of, of many Old Testament passages, which referred to the Messiah as God's servant. Isaiah 42, verse 1, says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. That's a messianic reference to Christ. Zechariah 3, 8, also a messianic reference to Christ, says, Behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. All right, so we see Christ once again referred to as God's servant. You look at the attitude of Christ. You look at the actions of Christ. And Christ went about serving all throughout his, all throughout his earthly ministry. This is really one of the chief characteristics of his ministry. In, in Philippians 2.7, the Bible tells us that Christ took upon himself the form of a servant. This is the king of kings and lord of lords. He could have taken upon the form of a king, but he took upon the form of a lowly servant. Again, a, a group of people that, that rank at the bottom of the societal ladder. He took upon himself the form of a servant. And the servant-heartedness of Christ is a challenge to us, but it was also a rebuke to not just the Pharisees, but also his own disciples. His own disciples were constantly arguing who should be the greatest, who should have this position and that position, and again, who should be esteemed, and who, who is the greatest among us. Christ told them, again, the way to be great in my kingdom is not, is, is not to be promoted, but to become the servant to all men. That's how, that's how you find greatness in God's work, is by taking up a towel and basin and washing some feet. Again, is by, is by serving others and becoming a servant. Christ said in Mark 10, verse 44, Whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be the servant of all. You want to be the chief? You want to be the, uh, you want to be the top one? You want to be the greatest in God's kingdom? Then become a servant. Humble yourself. Have a servant's heart. Christ is not only a servant, he's also presented as a savior. Jesus revealed his mission was to give his life a ransom for many. And this really was his greatest act of service. His greatest act of service was becoming our savior. Was laying down his life, was becoming a ransom, paying the ransom price. Paying my sin debt that he did not owe to satisfy a debt I could not pay. Jesus Christ paid my ransom price with his own blood. And he is servant. He is savior. In conclusion, um, or I just want to, not conclusion yet. Again, I want to make some application as we, uh, as, as, as we consider some things, as we get ready to uh, go through this series together. I just want to make some practical applications. All right, so we, we've laid some of the foundation. Those are some of the foundational things that I think will be helpful to you to understand as we start working our way through the Gospel of Mark. I, I want to deal with some practical ways for you to get the most out of this series. Okay? Like I said, this applies to any series. But I'm just going to take some time this morning to go through these with you. Okay? So again, if you want to write these down, go ahead. And I think, uh, again, these are things that if you apply, again, if, if, you, if you integrate into your life, if you take seriously... Uh, then I believe that you can uh, really benefit from this series as we go through the Gospel of Mark. And it begins with pro probably the most common sense one of all, and that is be present, all right? And be present. Show up. 
uh, for feeding time. Again, show up when the word of God is being opened. Show up whenever, again, the church of God assembles. And clearly, uh, again, you, you did so this morning, and I thank you for that. You know, I thank you for that and your faithfulness and being at church this morning. Uh, Hebrews 10.25, again, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Let me just challenge you this morning. Don't, again, I understand that there are, there are circumstances, whether it's a work circumstance or, or sickness or you're out of town. I understand there are circumstances. But again, if you're, if you're healthy and strong and in town, be in church. You know, be in church. God has designed the local church to be the place where his people gather. And you're missing out on so much. I'm not, I'm not just talking about Sunday mornings. I'm talking about Sunday school and Sunday night and Wednesday night. You know, be in church. And, you know, I, I think the Lord will bless you for that. And you'll grow because of that as well. Um, let me challenge you. Don't decide because it's easy to fall into this habit. Don't decide whether you're coming to church on Saturday night or Sunday morning out of a matter of convenience. Uh, it's convenient this morning to go to church or it's not convenient. So we're not going to go to church this morning. Uh, don't don't again have the mentality of, you know, if, if I if I'm well. And I'm in town, and I'm physically able to, I'm going to be in church. That's something that, again, I didn't necessarily, um, again, I probably didn't always appreciate growing up, but that's something that now that I'm older and and now that I have my own family, again, I I thank God that my parents prioritized that. You know, I I practically grew up in church, you know, going to anytime the doors were open, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, any church activity, guess who was there? Our family was there, you know, and I, looking back, I thank my parents for that. I thank God that my parents prioritize the assembling of ourselves together with the local church. And because of that, the church has always played a special part of my life you know, and, and people that God has brought into my life through uh, the ministry of the local church. The most precious people in the world, the most precious people in the world are believers in the local church. Again, get amongst them, you know, learn of them, pour into them, invest in them, serve them. And again, you'll be benefited by them. Number two is come prepared. Okay, come prepared. Be ready. You have you have a meeting with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know, if you had if you had a meeting with pick your favorite president of history, okay? If you had if you had a meeting scheduled this Friday with your favorite president in U.S. history, say you don't like any of them, then pick somebody you like, okay? Uh, throughout human history, and you get to sit down with them. Do you think you're going to prepare for that? Do you think you're going to make sure that, you know, you're, you're, you're again, you're, you're ready, uh, again, you're, you're dressed well, you're, uh, again, uh, you know what you're going to say, uh, you're going to present yourself well? Yeah, you, you likely are going to do that. And whenever we gather together as a church, who, who are we meeting with? We're not meeting with the president. We're meeting with the king of kings and lord of lords. We're meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, there's no greater meeting than the meeting of the church, than the assembling of the church. So prepare yourself. Come prepared. How can you do this? Number one, prepare yourself and your family with prayer. Prepare yourself and your family with prayer. And this is something I want to challenge you. This is something I challenge myself to do. Before you ever come to church, start praying. Whether it's Saturday night, whether it's through the week, whether it's Sunday morning, when you sit down for your cup of coffee and breakfast, whenever it is, find a time that works for you. But pray. What can you pray for? Pray for the lost to be saved. Pray for the saints of God to be built up and edified. Pray for Jesus Christ to be glorified. Again, pray that God would speak to your own heart. 
Don't, don't get into the rut of, of, of religious ritualism where you just show up and nothing happens. No, come expecting to meet with God. Come expecting God to speak to you through his word, and God will. Again, something else is pray for the preacher, whether it's me or whether it's somebody else. Again, pray for whoever is preaching that God would open their mouth to preach the word of God in his power. And according to his will. Again, that's what I want. That's what I need. And I, again, I, I ask for your prayers. The, if, if the Apostle Paul needed the prayers of the churches, then I need prayer. Uh, Paul requested from the church at Ephesus, he prayed, or he requested prayer that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Ephesians 6, 19. Again, I need that prayer for me. That God would open my mouth, and again, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. How else can you come prepared? Come to church hungry. Okay, come to church hungry. I'm not talking about a fellowship meal, so you're not going to eat breakfast. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. Have a good breakfast. Again, I know I'm the type where, again, I need a good breakfast or I'm going to be miserable until lunchtime. All right, maybe you're different. I know some. Uh, you can skip breakfast and it doesn't bother you. But I'm, I'm not like that. So I'm not talking about physical hunger. Come to church spiritually hungry. Come to church spiritually hungry. Come to church like you come before a Thanksgiving feast. Okay? Again, I, I love Thanksgiving. You get to get, come together with family. You have this spread of food. Again, pies and desserts and turkey and ham and stuffing and uh, again, a sweet potato pie, and you get all these delicious foods, and you sit down, and it's more food than you could possibly eat in one setting. Again, and, and enough to go back for seconds or thirds if you're able to. Again, and what do you do? Again, you, you, you come with eagerness. At least I do. I come with eagerness and excitement. I'm hungry. Again, I'm ready. I look forward to this all year. Again, come to church like that. Come to church hungry. Come to church with a sense of eagerness and a sense of expectation. You're about to feast on something that is uh, a greater feast than anything you'll ever enjoy on this earth. Again, you're coming to feast upon the meat and drink of the word of God. And having a good how – do, how do I have a good spiritual appetite? How do, I, how do I have that appetite in my life? One of, the, one of the most important ways to have a good spiritual appetite is by having a teachable spirit. One of the best ways to have a – Good spiritual appetite is by having a teachable spirit. You know, if, if I'm proud, if I have a proud spirit, I'm not coming to church hungry. If I'm proud, again, uh, uh, one of two things usually happens. Either I think I know it all already. So, again, what's, again I, I, don't, I don't need to hear anything else because I've already mastered the Bible, which, again, that's not the case for any one of us. Or number two, again, the second pitfall, with, again, with, with that attitude is, again, no one's going to tell me what to do. And again, that's a dangerous attitude as well. So either I know it all, so I don't need to listen, or you know, it's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to live my life how I want to live my life. And again, that's a very dangerous uh, place to be. Again, those, both of those are, are just a sign of, of the rotten sin of pride within one's heart. 1 Samuel 3.9. What was Samuel taught when the Lord spoke to him to say? He said he was taught to say, speak, Lord. For thy servant heareth. Cultivate an attitude like Samuel. That when God speaks to us, again, I'm not talking to God's not speaking to us through dreams and visions and audible voices. That's what I'm talking. I'm talking about God's sufficient word. God speak has has spoken. Okay? And God has spoken to us through his word. 
Again, and when the word of God goes forth, that is God speaking to us. This is the mind of God given to us. God speaks to us through his word. Again, do we have that attitude of Samuel? Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Or is my heart distracted? Or is my heart set upon worldly things? Or is my heart hardened in such a way that, again, God doesn't, the Spirit of God doesn't even speak to me anymore? 1 Peter 2, verse 2, it says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. Now, I understand this practical application. I understand what this verse is saying in this season of our life. Again, we have two twins at home. Again, in every three hours, they're hungry. We don't have to remind them about that. They remind us about that. You know, three o'clock in the morning, peaceful, still night, and, and again, in a deep sleep, all of a sudden, Josiah starts screaming at the top of his lungs. What's he saying? He says, give me some milk. All right, he wants some food. All right, as, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of what? Of the word, that ye may grow thereby. Do you hunger for the word of God, the milk and the meat of the word of God? Again, this is your spiritual nourishment. So how can I be prepared? Again, a couple of, uh, again, come, uh, come with a teachable spirit. Again, come hungry, ready for the word of God, ready for the milk of the word. Um, again, come uh, with, with humility and with an eagerness. Um, again, come Again, being pray, praying for yourself, but also for those around you. Let me give you another practical one too. Again, let's just be rested. All right, let's just as practical as it gets. Uh, again, a rested mind, a rested body is really essential, you know, for being prepared to worship. And I've said it many times that Sunday worship begins on Saturday night. Sunday worship begins on Saturday night. I understand that that doesn't always happen. You know, you, you, I know we're in a season right now where you know, sleeping through the night. Is, isn't really a reality in our life at this time. Uh, but then again, you know, it's one of those things where if I'm able to, you know, I want to be rested going into church. Why? So that I can, so I can stay awake, so I can listen, so I can hear what's being said, so I don't get to the end of the sermon and I don't, I don't know what was, what was said. No, be rested. Come with, with, a, with a rested body and mind and with an eagerness to hear the word of God. So number three, number three is stay plugged in. Stay plugged in. Again, we live in an ADHD society, right? And where we see the fly flying and it, it, it totally distracts us. We were, we were focused on something for 10 seconds. And you see the fly dart across the room and now your focus is over there, right? And then something moves over here and now your focus is over here. Again, that's, that's so often how we are. You know, we, we have... Uh, again, we, we get so distracted. So how can I stay plugged in during the preaching time? Number one, recognize that whenever the, whenever the sermon is being preached, there is a battle going on. Whether you realize it or not, there is a battle going on. Satan is doing everything that he can to distract you, to get your mind on something else. Again, to will your heart up with pride so you don't receive the word of God into your lives. Or as one, again, I liked what one Bible teacher said, and I quote him. He says, like a bird plucking away newly sown seed, Satan attempts to snatch the word from your mind and heart so that it, so that it cannot take root. Again, what happens when seed is, is, is placed out in the soil? You put it under the soil. What, what do the birds, they come and they, they eat up the seed, right? And Satan is trying to do that. As the seed of the word of God goes forth, 
against Satan, but wants to come along and snatch that seed away. He doesn't want that seed to take root. Why? Because if the seed takes root, it brings forth fruit, and who gets the glory? God gets the glory. And Satan will do everything he can to keep the seed of the word of God from taking root in your heart. So that it does not bring forth fruit and so that Christ is not glorified like he deserves. In Psalm 119, let's actually turn there together. Psalm 119, let's take a look at a couple of verses. I want to challenge you this morning to come before the word of God like the psalmist treats the word of God here. Psalm 119, beginning in verse 127. 127. And as we're reading, consider how valuable the psalmist viewed the word of God. The psalmist saw his total dependence upon the word of God. He knew he knew he needed it, and he desperately needed it. Psalm 119, beginning on verse beginning at verse 127. Notice what he says here. He says, Therefore I love thy commandments. Above gold, yea, above fine gold. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Thy testimonies are wonderful, therefore doth my soul keep them. The entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple. I open my mouth and panted, for I long for thy commandments. Jump down to verse number 140. He says, thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Notice, notice some of the phrases that are in that verse. Can I love God's word? Hey, I love God's word above gold, not just gold, fine gold. I, I esteem all thy precepts to be right. God, your testimonies are wonderful. God, I need your word. Why? Because your word gives light. Lord, I need your word. Why? Because it gives understanding into the simple. God, I am, I, am, I am panting for your word. I am thirsty for your word. I, I long for your commandments. Your word is pure. I love your word. And is that your attitude towards the word of God? Let me challenge you that during the preaching time, ask God to help you listen with full attention. Don't settle for listening to sermons in a half-hearted way. Really, all of us should be working together. Can I, I am working as hard as I can to, to present the word of God clearly and effectively. But again, those who are listening not to be working just as hard to hear the word and to receive the word of God. In Luke 19.45, Jesus or speaks here of those who listen to Jesus as he taught in the temple. Can you imagine can sitting at the feet of Jesus as he teaches in the temple and, and to hear him teach? Notice what it says. It says, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. They were very attentive. Again, as you come, again, they, they were hanging on to every word that he said. And that ought to be our response to the word of God. Again, not my words. You're not coming to hear me. Hopefully you're coming to hear what God says. And hopefully as God's word goes forth... Again, you are like those who sat at the feet of Jesus, and you were very attentive. You are very attentive to what God is saying through his word. You are listening. You're hanging on to every word. Here's some questions to ask yourself. Again, and I can send you these. I know it's kind of a small font right there. I tried to fit them all on the screen. So I can send you this list if you'd like me to. But here's some questions to ask yourself as you listen to a sermon. 
what is God trying to teach me from his word? Okay, not what is God trying to teach so-and-so. What is God trying to teach me from his word? What are areas of my life that God wants me to change? God, I don't want to be the same. I want to be transformed into the image of Christ. How, how, what are areas that need to be changed? How can I respond in obedient faith to the word of God? What can I put into practice this week in obedience to God's word? Do I have a meek and submissive spirit towards the word of God? Am I resisting the influence of Satan who is doing all that he can to steal away the seed of truth that has been planted in my heart? So those are things that, those are just practical questions to ask yourself. And like I said, I can send you that list if you'd like me to. Number four is put the word into practice. Put the word into practice. Don't just be a hearer, be a doer of the word of God. But I want to read a verse in Hebrews 2 verse 1. Hebrews 2 verse 1 says, Therefore, we ought to give them we ought to give more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Let me read that one more time. Therefore, we ought to give more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Okay, so what this verse is saying is it's not only important for us to hear the word of God, but it's also important for us to retain the word of God. So that the truths of the word of God do not do not slip away. So what can we do to keep God's truth from slipping away? Can we hear the word of God, but what can I do to retain it? What can I do to keep it from, from slipping away and it becoming unprofitable in my life? A couple of questions. I know that's small again, and I can send a list to you if you'd like me to. Um, what can we do to keep God's truth from slipping out of our hearts and minds? Number one, pray and ask God to instill his truth in your heart. Okay, Ask God for help. God wants to help. All right? God is here to help, and God will help. Ask him for it. Ask and you will receive Number two, meditate on the truth through the week. Then meditate upon the truth. Even if it's just, even if you may not remember everything that was said. And again, I, I don't, I probably don't remember everything that I say. And if you're to ask me on Thursday, everything I said on Sunday, I probably wouldn't remember every single thing. But take one thing, take one nugget of truth and, and, and just mull it over. Meditate upon it. Think through it throughout the week. Strive to respond in obedience to every sermon you hear. Strive to respond in obedience to every sermon you hear. God may be challenging you to change an action or to change a way of thinking. But again, there, there should be something that all of us can change as we respond to his word. Diligently practice, live out the word through the week and beyond. Okay, so not, don't just say, well, I did my week living out this truth. Now I can move on to the next one. No. Live it out through the week. Focus on it. Keep living it out by God's power. Uh, go back and review notes you have taken during the sermon. Again, I know for some of you, again, if, if, if notes, taking notes may not help you. I know for some people, taking notes is a distraction for them uh, rather than a help. But if taking notes helps you, then take notes and go back and review those notes. Go back over those notes. Uh, maybe this will help. Go back and listen to the sermon. I know there's been times, again, where I've heard a sermon and, man, so just, just this truth stood out to me. But then I go back to the same sermon, and then another truth stands out to me that, that didn't stand out to me the first time. It just becomes richer every time that I listen to it. 
Um, Again, talk to your children. I know for some of you, again, maybe this is grandchildren or other family about the sermon. Um, And we believe in family discipleship. And really, in order for an age-integrated church to be effective, there has to be there has to be family discipleship going on. You know, where fathers are leading their homes spiritually, uh, where they're discipling their wives, children, and then the last thing I, I want to mention, and then we'll be done for today, is talk to fellow believers about the sermon. Talk to fellow believers about the sermon. Let me just challenge you again. I'm not I'm not saying again because again I I don't do this every time after I preach a sermon. All right. But challenge yourself after a sermon, instead of going straight to the topics of weather, sports, politics, current events, those things aren't bad to talk about. And I enjoy talking about those things uh, with many of you. Again, there's nothing wrong. I'm not saying I'm not again, don't don't take this the wrong way. All right. Again, I'm not saying you're sinning if you if you talk about sports or politics or something else. That's all what I'm saying. But I'm saying challenge yourself to talk with one another about the sermon that was preached. Again, those things are fine, but what's the most important thing I've just heard? Not what I just read on Fox News. No, the most important thing is this right here, the Word of God. And what greater thing to talk about than the Word of God? You know, talk to others around you. You know, tell them what you learned. Ask them what they learned, maybe. Maybe they'll be startled by it. You know, ask them what they learned from the, uh, fr- from the sermon. Um, you know, challenge one another with the word of God. You know, ask someone maybe to pray for you. Maybe you need prayer in a certain area of your life to live out some truth. We're, we're, again, we're supposed to be a family. You know, ask your brothers and sisters to come alongside and to help you. That's what the church is for. And if you, if you need prayer to live out the truths of the word of God. Talk about the word. Talk about doctrine. Talk about the truth of the word of God. All right. So today has been today has been a unique sermon, uh, laying the foundation, uh, but also giving you some practical application. Be present. Come prepared. Stay plugged in, and then put the word into practice. Okay. And I can send you those lists of questions and uh, different points that I put up there if you'd like me to. All right. All right, well, that's all I got for you today, so let's have a word of prayer, and let's thank the Lord for the time he's given us this morning. Father, we come before you, Lord, and God, we thank you for this opportunity just to open up your word this morning and to begin this new series. And God, I am so eager about what you have in store for us as we study the gospel of Mark verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. And God, I pray you would use this series, Lord, in our lives. God, I pray that we would apply some of these practical challenges just to get the most out of this sermon series. God, I pray that we would retain the truth, remember the truth, live out the truth, share the truth with one another. God, I pray, Lord, that we would, Lord, honor you, Father, in our response to your word, both now and, Lord, when we meet again. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, God, for the example of Christ and his service. And God, I pray that as we go through this gospel, I pray that we'd be challenged or to also take that place of servanthood. Lord, that's not a, Lord, in the eyes of the world, that may be a lowly place, but in, in, in your eyes, God, that is an exalted place to be a servant. God, help us to live out this truth this morning, Father. 
God, we love you. We praise you. I pray you bring us back this evening to worship you again. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go ahead. Let's take out...